Hi, listeners of The Total Podcast with me, your host, Phil Scott. Listen to episodes of The Total Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcast, Radio Public, iHeartRadio, and other podcast platforms, and watch selected episodes of The Total Podcast on The Total Podcast channel on YouTube. Hey, listeners of The Total Podcast with me, your host, Phil Scott. Catch up with The Total Podcast for latest news and photos and videos on The Total Podcast Instagram page. It is at PodcastPhil on Instagram. Hello, and welcome to this episode of The Total Podcast with me, your host, Phil Scott. On this episode of The Total Podcast, I'm going to discuss the 2024 Toyota Land Cruiser and the trim levels available, and there will be some classic interviews. So without further ado, let's get it going. So first off on this episode of the Total Podcast, the 2024 Land Cruiser will be on the way soon. And it's not like Land Cruisers of old. So first of all, let's start with the powertrain. So gone are the V8 engines of Land Cruisers past. Now the 2024 Toyota Land Cruiser will have a turbocharged four-cylinder with a hybrid electric system. Now that whole setup will make 326 horsepower and 465 foot-pounds of torque. It will have an eight-speed automatic transmission, full-time four-wheel drive, and there will be three trim levels. So let's get into the trim levels. So there will be three available trim levels for the 2024 Land Cruiser. There will be the Land Cruiser 1958, and the styling will harken back to that Land Cruiser. There will be the base Land Cruiser, the basic Land Cruiser, and then finally there will be the first edition that will be the higher trim model of the Land Cruiser. Again, they will all have eight-speed automatic transmissions, the turbocharged four-cylinder hybrid engine system and an eight-speed automatic transmission with full-time four-wheel drive. Now, pricing for the 2024 Land Cruiser will start at $57,345. The base price will be $55,950. And then there's the destination charge, which is about $1,395. The styling is very impressive, I think, with the 2024 Land Cruiser. I will have some photos posted on my Instagram feed at, at podcastphil. So look for some photos of the 2024 Land Cruiser there. And let's see what it's going to turn out to be. Let's hope. Let's hope that the Land Cruiser will 
be as successful as it was and maybe even more successful as it was in years past. Now, one other thing I want to touch upon about the Land Cruiser, two things actually, the towing capacity is only 6,000 pounds. So with that four-cylinder engine slash hybrid setup, it's not going to be able to tow nearly as much as it was able to tow before. So it will tow 6,000 pounds and the fuel economy rating is combined of about 23 miles per gallon. That would be city and highway. Now, before I move on to my classic interviews, I just quickly wanted to touch upon some photography deals, mainly in drones. So if you're just getting started into the drone hobby and you want to get some awesome aerial photography, a good place to start might be, especially for your budget, would be the DJI Mini 3 Pro. Now, even though the DJI Mini 4 Pro is on the market, you can find some awesome discounts on the Mini 3 Pro. You can find them reasonably priced, new and refurbished on the DJI.com website. You can search Amazon and other photographic outlets as well. There's B&H Photo and their Costco sells the DJI Mini 3 Pro. It's got obstacle avoidance. Um, I think it's three-way obstacle avoidance. It's not omnidirectional like the Mini 4 Pro is, but the Mini 3 Pro has an excellent camera. Again, the obstacle avoidance. And if you're learning to fly, it, it is very easy to fly. I've been flying for over four years now. And just having the experience of flying a drone and getting those aerial photographs is just awesome. So if you're looking to get into the hobby and you want to get some great landscape and aerial photographs with the drone, the Mini 3 Pro is a good place to start. So it can be, you can pick one up for less than $500 and you can get some pretty good combos for around $700, maybe a bit more depending on the outlet that you choose to purchase it from. You can also get the DJI RC, which is a remote that has the screen built in so you won't have to use your phone. There are options, if you don't mind using your phone, there are some options out there where you can um, get the RC in one, where you just put your phone into the remote and you fly it that way. But if you just want the dedicated remote with the screen, you can pick up the Mini 3 Pro with the DJI RC. So look for that. If you're interested in the drone hobby, you're into photography, and you want to get some awesome landscape and aerial photos. So I will have links to the DJI Mini 3 Pro in the show notes. And finally, on this episode of the Total Podcast, I'm going to include some classic interviews 
So who are they? Well, you just have to sit back and listen. But they will be in the title of the show. So listen to the episode. Let me know what you think. And enjoy it. So that's this episode of the Total Podcast. My classic interviews are up next. And we'll be right back. Hey, listeners of the Total Podcast with me, your host, Phil Scott. Catch up with the Total Podcast for latest news and photos and videos on the Total Podcast Instagram page. It is at PodcastPhil on Instagram. And welcome back to this episode of the Total Podcast with me, your host, Phil Scott. Next up, here are some of my classic interviews. So sit back, relax, and enjoy them. Hello, and welcome to the Total Podcast with me, your host, Phil Scott. So on today's episode of the Total Podcast, my very special guest is automotive journalist Amanda Klein. So Amanda, thank you so very much for agreeing to be on the podcast today. I truly appreciate it. And I'm excited to have you on and talk about cars. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. You're welcome. So first, I want to ask you a little bit about your background. Um, first of all, where were you born um, and where did you go to college? I was born in Fort Myers, Florida. So uh, Southwest Florida, a lot of people have grandparents in the area if they know of the area and I went to UCF in Orlando and what did you major in at UCF my bachelor's is in English literature and then my master's is in technical communication which is like business writing and stuff like that something along those lines <laughs> so we're fellow English majors I I majored in English at San Diego State too for my oh bachelor's. very cool so That's yeah, awesome. that was, yeah yeah I love to write actually and that's what that's what made me want to be an English major. So what attracted you to writing and journalism, Amanda? I am not good at math, not great at science. Me neither. <laughs> you can only be good at one, I feel yes. like. Um, but I actually had a really great professor when I started school and she um, her name was Jill Hummel and she was like my best teacher and she gave me so much advice and she was so helpful and I was like oh my gosh I actually might be good at this so I kind of took a bunch of English classes after that and then I decided to go for English Lit after that. Now what attracted you to just journalism um, and what how did you get yourself into the field of um, writing about cars? I just really like i find that writing is like kind of easy for me, I guess it just kind of comes easily. And I've always been into cars. My family has always kind of been into cars. My boyfriend and I met at a car meet. Um, so we do like a lot of car stuff together. But uh, since I have always grown up around cars, that was kind of also effortless. So it was like, okay, I may as well do the two things that I know the most about, I guess. <laughs> and you're into racing as well, right? Your, your interest yeah, I, in racing? Yeah, I'm not a, I'm not a racer, but I watch it. <laughs> I do. Uh, we've gone to the F1 races a few times, went to the Miami one, and mm -hmm. then we just went to our first Indy race out in Nashville, and that was oh, really wow. fun. Yeah. What was that like? It was fun. You know, it's like 
It's a lot more low key than F1. And it's more like about the racing because the Miami F1 race is so like celebrity and like fashion. And so the IndyCar race was fun. It was like people that like racing all in one place. And it was just a little more relaxed. All right. Well, tell me about your favorite cars to write about, because I, I've i seen some of the vehicles you've written about, and you've written about a variety of cars. It seems like mostly SUVs, but what are your favorite cars to write about? So I'm technically on that SUV team at Motor Biscuit, um, but I really love Toyotas. Uh, mm-hmm. My first car was a Lexus IS, so I've always been into like the Toyota Lexus genre, but mm-hmm. I really love the Toyota SUVs. The They sent me the Sequoia TRD Pro, and that was like the coolest thing to oh, wow. drive. It was really cool, and it was bright orange, which is my favorite color. Um, so I love driving that. I got to drive the Highlander and the Forerunner, which were also both really cool, but I do love Toyotas, and I love Toyota SUVs specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, what brand do you, do you see as... I know you love Toyotas and I I like Toyotas and Hondas. Um, What brand like Kia, for instance, how do you feel about, because I know you've tested the Telluride as well, right? I haven't, but I got to sit in it at the Miami Auto Show Mm -hmm. um, and I've written about it extensively. What I like about Kia and their their SUVs is that they make like safety and features so much more accessible where like you can still get the base level trim and you can still have all the important safety features, whereas a lot of brands want you to get like the platinum or the top of the line trim and you kind of have to pay for that. So I like Kia and how accessible they make everything for people. Yeah, they do. And they've come along so far and just quality. Um, than say they, what they were 10, 20 years ago, even because before they were just considered junky cars, cheap cars that very few people bought. But the longer they hung with it, their quality improved. And now they're building some fantastic vehicles. Yeah, Same with Hyundai. Are, yeah. And they, the new Hyundai, I wrote it down. I think it's the, is it the Santa Fe, the new one that just got like redone for 2024? They look so good. You think yeah. that they're a luxury vehicle. And even when you're in it, you kind of feel that way, which is nice. Again, like you don't have to pay the luxury price to kind of have that experience and have all those features. What advice, Amanda, would you give a young girl who is thinking about being a writer and getting into journalism? Man, I would tell them to find a good teacher and pay attention in that class. But really, like if you are in college and that is your goal, try to take all of those classes and find which ones you don't like, because I can't write a poem to save my life. Like creative (laughs) writing isn't really my thing, but I figured that out pretty early. So I think that if you want to do it, you can kind of find out what you're good at and just kind of hone in on that. Um, And I thought I went to community college for a little while and I thought that that was really helpful because it let me kind of get rid of some classes that I didn't necessarily want to go that route. So I got to take creative writing and I got to take all of the stuff that I wasn't really too big on and then I could move on and I could take like the higher level classes once I got to UCF and do that stuff that was a little more like specific. Mm -hmm. So I think that that was really helpful for me. And freelancing isn't the best, you know, it isn't the right move for everyone, but you can freelance and you can kind of 
see if you like a publication or see if that's the kind of writing you like. If you're more newsy and you're into the breaking news stuff, you can kind of figure that out. So freelancing is a good way to figure it out without getting too committed to anything. Hello, and welcome to this episode of The Total Podcast with me, your host, Phil Scott. So on today's episode of The Total Podcast, my guest is a dog trainer and a quite gifted one at that. Her name is Lauren Lee, and she works for Mango Dogs. So without further ado, here is Lauren. So Lauren, it's nice to meet you. Thank you for being on the show today. My pleasure, Phil. Um, like Phil said, my name is Lauren Lee. I'm the head trainer down here at Mango Dog San Diego. And I've been doing this for a little bit more than a year now with this company, but our specialty is rehabbing aggressive and you know, dogs with reactivity issues, which believe it or not, there's a lot of dogs with that right now because of quarantine and everything. A lot of these dogs have been kept inside. Um, our lives have been shifted quite a bit. So I've been able to help transform lots of dogs as of late. Wow. And I've noticed too, I mean, like you were saying, um, with the the lockdowns and everything, a lot of people got dogs. Yeah. And so a lot of people don't know necessarily how they should raise their dogs the mm. proper way. Right. Um, and I, I did some reading up on uh, different things that actually was the top 10 things that issues that dogs have. And I'm going to run down that list in a little bit. Yeah, and and you can tell me which ones you seem to encounter the most with your training. Okay. Um, so that's that's awesome. So first of all, Lauren, tell me about your background, where you went to high school, where you went to college, and how you got into dog training, because it's quite a fascinating story for my own research, what I've read about you. Mm -hmm. Pretty fascinating. Well, thank you. Yeah, it's yeah. been uh, quite a journey. Uh, initially, when I started going to school and everything, let me just start, I went to school in Singapore um, for high school. So I've wow. got to meet a lot of different people out there, um, which is really neat. And then I came back here to the U.S. where I did my college at Loyola University, Chicago. Mm -hmm. um, during that time, I was really focused on going into the vet field. So I was very tunnel vision into working in veterinary sciences, which was a good focus for me to have. It encouraged me to do biology school, a lot of animal psychology and all that stuff. And during that time, simultaneously, I was working at a, at a vet clinic down in Chicago, just to give myself more real life experience working with dogs and cats and, and domestic animals. And I loved it. You know, I've learned so much from the medical fields and I still enjoy picking up shit now and again down at my clinic that's pretty close to me. But when I was doing that, I realized that I had a lot of interests outside of my description and I wanted to be outside. I wanted to challenge myself with different animals if there was even a way to get into that that field. And then I decided to um, actually enroll into a master's program. I wasn't sure that I was going to go back to school, but one of the veterinarians I was working with coincidentally went to this master's program that was heavily focused on biology conservation. Mm -hmm. And I was like, wow, that sounds amazing. Um, that sounds like it's right up my alley. It's going to open a realm of opportunities for me to maybe work with some animals and actually be outside of a vet hospital. So I decided to take a sidestep, go towards school a little bit more. And I got my master's through Miami University, Ohio, through the San Diego Zoo. Oh, wow. Um, I know, it's crazy. So they have a Miami University, Ohio has this really cool satellite program where they partner with a couple of zoos around the U.S. to teach people biology conservation. And the nice thing is you get to 
focused on what you would like to focus on. So my, my focus happened to be habitat restoration. Um, I had the opportunity of going to Borneo, for example, to plant some native trees to help link some habitats that were fragmented. It opened my eyes up to wildlife. And then during this schooling, I decided to work at the San Diego Zoo. So everything serendipitously just kind of worked out, which was amazing. Um, my medical background helped me understand animals at the San Diego Zoo. I started there as an educator where I was able to teach people about animal psychology and animal behavior and really get a good grasp, grasp on that and really start to introduce myself into the training realm as well. Because with a lot of animals that we work with at the zoo, there's a lot of training that gets involved so that we can work with them in a positive way and in a way that helps us better take care of their husbandry. So after working in education, I took another sidestep into mammal care at the San Diego Zoo Safari Park, where I was able to work with a lot of hoofstock. So now I'm going from dogs and cats to large hoofstock like giraffes and rhinos and antelope, and it's a whole different set of behaviors. But now with these animals, I have to work protective contact. So this job taught me a lot of training and communicating to animals. It taught me how to work safely with animals. And for my dog training business now, I work with a lot of aggressive dogs and a lot of reactive dogs, and I'm usually by myself and or just with a client. So I have all these techniques that have helped me stay safe and, and our clients safe too, and simultaneously have, you know, pulled a lot of different pieces from these jobs and different pieces of my background to help create best training programs for all these dogs with unique issues. Um, and so far, seen at least 100 dogs transform just from my own hand, which has been amazing. Um, there's been no shortage of dogs coming through our door, which is great, because a lot of them graduate just fine after 28 days. So mm -hmm. there's been um, quite a cool transformation that I've seen here in San Diego. And that's kind of how I ended up in dog training. After a couple of years at the San Diego Zoo, you know, picking up training techniques and working with a lot of great people, I decided that I wanted some different changes. I want to be able to teach people different skills to help make more transformations because to me that was fulfilling. Um, and I liked being able to see like, what are my abilities? What can I provide to other people? I'm going to take it out of the zoo now and actually start to grow in a different way that I've been craving, which has led me to mango dogs. No. So they coincidentally came into my life um, about a year and a half ago now, one of my good friends was walking on the beach with his two Belgian Malinois who are very well trained. Um, and we, this colleague of mine, actually, we work there for a nonprofit called Global Conservation Force, um, where we basically raise funds here to help support anti-protein units in Africa. I know it's all over the place. Um, so we have a lot of common interests, but he actually referred the mango dog trainers that ran into him to me. Because mm -hmm. he, knew, he knew that I was looking for something different. I was still in the zoo at this point, And that's how I took another sidestep towards mango dogs and that my primary job. So now I work pretty much every single day as a dog trainer. And two days a week, I work at a sanctuary called Nurture by Nature just for uh, my animal fix. Oh, that's awesome. So you're yeah. still doing that as well. Yes, I know. Yes, yeah, so seven days a week, just nonstop animals and then dogs and then animals and dogs. But I finally have found the niche that makes it all intertwined together just right for me. That's awesome. Well, I wanted to ask you too, um, when you were growing up, when you were a child, did you see that that was something that you were interested in working with animals? Yeah, 110%. Yeah. <laughs> like on our Christmas stockings from when I was little, mm -hmm. I think we made these at like five years old, myself and all my family members stitched little icons on our stocking of things that we really liked. And mine had lions and tigers and zebras and everything on it 
And it's always been that way. So from as young as I can remember, I've always loved animals, but like a lot of people, people only think that like veterinary medicine, the only, the only uh, niche or job where you can actually do that. There's so many more opportunities. And after being in this field and kind of meandering around, I've been able to see all the opportunities that are out there and it gets better fit for me every time I make a move. So yeah, that's kind of how it all, it all started. So my next guest on the special 100th episode of the Total Podcast is a guest that I had on last year. Her name is Erin Murphy. She's an author. She's an airline pilot and so much more. So Erin, welcome back to the show. Thank you thank for doing you. this 100th episode. I'm so excited to have you on. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Absolutely. I can't wait to listen to this episode myself. I'm excited to see who you uh, reconnected with and how they're all doing. Oh, well, I can't wait for you to hear it. It'll be very interesting. I'll have at least one new guest that you haven't heard yet. Um, she's going to be in an upcoming episode. She'll be in episode 101, actually, and okay. which I've already, uh, I'll take the veil off. I've already done 101. So okay. <laughs> 100 has been quite the 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 task to put together because I've had, I have so many guests and so they can come on at certain times. So I've been sure. having to adjust my schedules, which is cool. I can do that. I mean, this is a special episode, so I want to get the best guests and the guests that, that have a lot of meaning to me. So thank you for doing this, Aaron. Great. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah. I've even people that I see that you have interviewed and that I've listened to on your podcast, I've even connected with them through Instagram and we've supported each other, whether it's through books or whatever it is that is their genre. So um, you've definitely been a little social networking tool yourself. Oh, <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Well, if if I can touch the lives of people out there and connect people, then that then the show's doing its job. So thank you so much, Aaron. Thank oh, you. Oh yeah, definitely. Well, first of all, um, I want to talk about what you're up to now. Um, but first, let's talk about your time on the show earlier. Um, so we talked about your book, Halfway Home, which has since come out now. And so tell us about how it's done, because I, I you've put a lot of work into it. And you've done a lot of things, not only associated with the book, but with animal rescues in general. So tell us how that whole process has gone for you and what's it, what's it, what it has been like for you. Um, it's been, I would characterize it as a whirlwind. Um, it, found, it was really nerve wracking right before the book launched. And I felt really uncertain even during the launch. Um, and then I kind of wrote a high where it got really exciting um, and extremely rewarding when you finally see your book in people's hands and people taking the time to write reviews and share with their communities. Um, that was extremely touching and exciting. Um, so much so for myself, cause I published with a hybrid publishing house. So a lot of the marketing falls on my shoulders. And so what I learned in one of the marketing courses that was required by me to take from my hybrid, hybrid publisher um, to kind of get my uh, myself ready uh, for what would in, be entailed after the book launch. Um, they really encouraged me to really use social media if that was something I felt comfortable with. And so I do post and share a lot on there. And the thinking behind the frequency in which I post and share is that not everyone is on all the time, right? We're all busy. We all have life things going on. You might not be on for a month or so, but I wanted to stay consistent with that and relevant with that. So that seem to has seem to have proven 
uh, well for me. My most of my connections and sales have, from my website um, have been that from people that I don't know have been specifically through um, Instagram. So I know there's all this social media shaming <laughs> in the mm-hmm. world, but um, I really use it as a tool and not even just a tool. I feel like I'm making gen like yourself. I'm making genuine connections. It's not like um, there's some like really big sales manipulative tactic going on of mine. I just feel like I am attracting who I want. So um, my book being an aviation and animal rescue picture book um, has the ability to reach um, parents, schools, um, and animal lovers. And so a large, and, it, and really, I wish it did touch more, but it really only touches on a small part of my aviation community. Like I think if the storyline was a little bit more heavy handed about flying um, and not the animal rescue world, like it seems to be attracting aviators who also love animals like myself. So if you're just an aviator, some people are like, oh yeah, it's cute, you know, but it's not like a hardcore, you know, book about drones or something, right. That you would be like, oh, I'm all over this, but you know, um, so I, uh, all to say is it, it took me time to find who my audience is and you kind of have an idea of who that audience is going to be when you go into the launch. Um, it, but it's become very, very clear to me. It's just what I said. It's a small percentage of aviation people and it's a huge percentage of animal lovers. So I, I really thought I was going to market more towards children. Um, I mean, it is a children's book. However, it's animal lovers that are um, coming through to me with their most enthusiasm. So, and they have, a lot of them did not know about the role that aviation plays in animal rescue. So um, mm. I really feel like the book is is doing its its purpose. So I enjoy collaborating with different animal air rescues and using um, funds from the sales. And because I'm self-published, I can, you know, change the price on my website and then use um, some of the proceeds to support some of the animal air rescues. So I'm enjoying collaborating with people. Now, and I'm have, always open to it. <laughs> now, you've had a chance to read to some children already, correct? I have, yes. And I've done, what was that um, like? A couple, it's great. I mean, they, they just get so excited. Um, and then, you know, the only thing that's that's sometimes a challenge is that, um, you know, the book is about my rescue dog, Zeke, and he just does not do that well around strangers. So people are always a little disappointed that I don't bring him. Um, however, I've you know, a learning curve took place and I realized that showing some pictures and videos of him suffices. And then sometimes I make like a, um, I'll do one of two things. I bring like a dry erase board. And at the end, I have the children write a message to Zeke and tell them they're going to go home and show him everything that they wrote or shared, or even just have them all write, write something on, a, on sticky notes. Um, and then that way it feels like they're still connecting with his character. That's it for this episode of The Total Podcast with me, your host, Phil Scott. Everyone stay safe. Be careful out there. Take care of one another. And we will talk again soon.